Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Mick, Nick Matovich of Panini. And I'll let Nick uh, more fully introduce himself. He's got a, a long and illustrious career in the industry. He's going to tell us all about that, his hobby journey from, from uh, little Nick to Nick being a key cog at, at Panini. So thanks, Panini, for providing Nick, as well as Tops and Upper Deck, my sponsors, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So, Nick, welcome to the show. I'm looking forward to hearing your story. I know a little bit, but I know I'm going to be enlightened. And uh, you're part of a great group over there at Panini. I want to hear your origin story. So, welcome, Nick Matovich. Sure. Thanks for having me, Dr. Beckett. Really appreciate it. And I've got kind of a unique start to the industry compared to a lot of the guys I work with. I started collecting in the mid 80s. I was really about, I guess, 85, 86, 87 is when I became more cognizant of sports and what was going on. You know, the Bears-Patriots Super Bowl was really the first Super Bowl I watched. The uh, Mets-Red Sox World Series was my first real World Series. I think it was Lakers-Celtics around that time on the NBA Finals. So that's really when I started keeping up with sports and following to a degree. Within the next year, I had a babysitter who um, was a daughter of a professor at the local college. I was adopted from Korea and as part of her upbringing to learn the English language and learn to read and help for lack of a better term with math, actually, uh, her father had gotten her into baseball cards. And so she was getting older and had decided she wasn't going to continue to pursue that. And she gave me her collection, you know, and the prize of that collection for me, which is still one of my favorite cards this day, just for the sentimental value was an 83 tops Boggs. you know, favorite, favorite card in my collection. None of my guys had everybody at the time, I guess was big in, Mattingly, you know, good and those guys. And I really got on the bogs at that point. He was the guy I collected for the next couple of years. Okay. And then kind of continue that studying for a hunter safety course, which in the Southeast is a big thing, right? Gun safety and hunting and everything else. And my father was frustrated because he couldn't get me to put the time in studying and to talk to his godson who was coming to visit us from Wisconsin. I mean, he brought his card collection. He knew I was starting to get into cards. And so if I could answer questions correctly in test prep, he would let me pick a card out of his album. And so that's really, you know, 86, 87 is when I started putting my money into cards, you know, taking my allowance. We would go to a local card shop the next town over. My town was about 3,000 people, two stop bites, really small. We didn't have a local card shop, but the next town over did. And so we, I would go to the dentist with a buddy and his father, and he would let us go buy two packs each after the dentist. I thought you were going to say the town of 3000, we only had two card shops. <laughs> if this was back in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, that's... It was crazy days, but so were you very, were you very sophisticated collector? Or were you just kind of opportunistically picking up things or were you going for Wade Boggs or, I mean, so how, I started, how, cause you're in the industry now. So you're, you're serious about it. How serious were, were you when you were a kid? You know, Doug Goddard is who gave me my start and I'll get to that. Uh, okay. Okay. But Doug it, felt like it, the way I'd collected as a kid gave me a good baseline yeah. to be a product development guy in the future. The master of complexity. Yeah. Yeah. Fractal matrix. I know all the old Beckett guys. Oh my goodness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, so I started as a player collector, but I got to the point I really wanted rookie cards and that was it. So I would trade all my stars. I would trade favorite teams, depending on my buddy. You know, if I had a guy that rooted for the Braves or the Redskins or whoever, I would try and gang up all my star cards and rookies I didn't care about for those teams to get guys I speculated on or rookies I thought could be good players. And so it went from Boggs to my dad's originally from the Pittsburgh area. So I began connecting the killer bees. You know, I had Bonds, Benia, I collected Van Slyke. You know, I really liked Will Clark. He was a guy just like the way he played. So I, I speculated heavily on Will Clark. And even then, you know, as you got to 88, 89, I would take a guy like Greg Jeffries, everybody else was high on, that I wasn't sure where he'd be. And I would try and turn my Jeffries into, you know, two or three Bonds rookies. And I would try and get any updates or the rookie set or whatever they'd been in on top of their true RCs. You know, so I always had Beckett Magazine and, you know, looked for the RC tag. And I really focused on that kind of stuff growing up. And that's when How I, I thought... 
you're picking winners. I mean, this is, uh, you're sounding pretty brilliant, Nick. I mean, were, were you, cause uh, you know, I was there back in the day. You didn't know whether, I mean, I guess at some point you figured out Bobby Bonds was going to be better than Bobby, Bobby Bonilla, but because he had this speed and power and sure. pre steroid stuff, but, but uh, it sounds like you're, you're on a, on a winning streak here. Well, a lot of what I talked to Doug about, right? I really enjoyed speculating. How did you know Doug? Was this were you friends with Doug, or or were you already in the industry? No. So Doug was eight years older than I was when he broke his neck. You know, he's quadriplegic at this point. When he broke his neck, he was in high school, and my mother was a physical therapist in the area, and my mother actually treated Doug. And so I knew Doug's little sister, but I'd never met Doug proper. Um, We've been at a community event, and my mom had asked Doug's mother what he was doing now. You know, she'd first time she'd seen him in a number of years, and. So well, he's in Texas working for a baseball card company right now named Pinnacle. And, you know, he's they're about to sell and he's going to go to another company called Donruss Playoff. And my mom said, oh, that's great. You know, Nick is finishing up his junior year of college. He really doesn't know what he wants to do with himself. He's a business major, but he was a longtime collector and a big sports fan. And if do you think there's any way Doug could get an internship? And, of course, I'm mortified at this point that my mother's having this conversation right in front of me thinking, what are you doing? Why, why would you embarrass me like this? Why would you be so blatant as to, to ask for this kind of favor? Um, but it just so happened Doug's little sister was two years younger than I was. She was best friends with my cousin's girlfriend. And so I'd known her very well. And she happened to be graduating high school at this point. I guess she was three years behind me because I was finishing my junior year and she was a senior in high school about to graduate. And Doug was flying in from Texas for the graduation ceremony. And so his mother, Caroline, talked to Doug. Doug said, sure, I'd be happy to, to talk to this guy. You know, I owe the Mativiches a lot and I'll at least see if there's a fit. And so interviewed me and thought I had enough of a baseline and a background that I would make an interesting intern. And uh, so he called me up about a month later and said, you know, I've talked to Ann Blake and She's agreed to pay you $5 an hour if you want to come down here for the rest of the summer and work for us. You know, we need help with checklists, we need help with checking autos, we need help with reservations. So I packed up my car, I drove 1,200 miles and found an efficiency down by the ballpark in Arlington and Six Flags uh, for, what, $200, $300 a week. I basically went in the hole to... Break it even, I think, at best, yeah. (laughs) No, but it it was a good investment, right? It was a good opportunity. Um, At the time, I honestly was trying to figure out what I was going to do when I graduated, and timing again worked out well about, you know, Nine, 10 months later, as I graduated, Tim Franz left Donruss Playoff to take a job with Fleer. Right. Just a brand manager position opened up, and Doug offered me that spot. So I graduated. I flew down to interview a week before my graduation. I went to Europe, what was supposed to be for a month with a Euro pass, and was going to do the stereotypical travel Europe for a month and find myself and everything else. And I cut that trip short two weeks, flew back to Tennessee on a Saturday, turned around and flew to Texas on a Sunday and started work on Monday. And Doug was kind enough for the first week to let me live in his house with him and his wife, Leanne. Uh, and my father then drove my car down a week later when he had a chance with a bunch of stuff. And I found an apartment from there and, you know, started working in earnest. I did not know that Doug, the mad scientist, he really made our life difficult at Bank Publications with, he, he would uh, somehow masterfully expand the real estate of, of whatever company, whatever entity he was representing, all of a sudden their listings expanded because of the complexity of the products that he helped design. So we're now in the in the late 90s now? Or well, I turned 99. I started full-time in June of 2000. Okay. And then so what, so what, then now you got 20 years to go, Nick. So what, what, what other, you know, the, the listeners may be, you know, there were a lot of name change, not name changes, but brand, you know, there were acquisitions and, and different kinds of things where it was a lot of the same people and the same brands, but there were new ownership structures and things like that. So t- tell us about that journey. Sure. Uh, so I started in Tim's spot as an assistant brand manager. You know, at the time, the company was 25 employees, maybe. Within I, I, the first set I actually got to work on, I'd done some checklists when I'd interned and even when I first started. But my first true insert was Hawaii 5 and Playoff Contenders 2000, right? Uh, the one thing Doug did really well, obviously, was kind of on the forefront, to your point, of 
pushing the envelope in the industry. Right? You know, he introduced the first autographed rookie card in Contenders 98, although it wasn't tagged that way because of the pennants and the leather. He's got you know, so many firsts. He has a lot of firsts because he was pushing the envelope and extremely creative, and uh, he broke conventional rules. Sure, absolutely. You know, and it's a lot of times if it didn't work, when he did the pennants, leather, and autographed rookie ticket in 98, you know, the staff at Beckett really didn't know how to designate or identify the RC. So they went with the most common, I believe, which meant the rookie autograph, while it's seen as a true rookie now, wasn't at the time. Yeah. So the next year they tweaked it to just do the autographs and remove the other elements because that was the most attractive piece. Now, I'm just telling you that, that Doug and, and your team there, what, as soon as we would say, well, here's the rule, then he would find a loophole. He would find a loophole. You know, so you were part of that. Okay, Nick. <laughs> it was a good, solid start. You know, so with, with, yeah. in six months, my first insert was a Y-50. Um, in 2000 contenders and, you know, felt like I was really starting to earn my bones. But then we acquired baseball and the company started to grow exponentially. We got the license back, you know, when Pinnacle had gone out of business and Ann had bought the rights to those names, the license didn't transition over that. So it took us a couple of years to fight and get that. And about that time, you know, I was part of the interview process for Ben Eklar when he came over from Beckett, obviously, to run our baseball division. Scott Prusha actually came over at that point, initially under the auspice of he was going to do the autograph deals. And Doug Goddard, because I'd been there, and said, well, you know, Nick actually knows all these football agents. We'll let you do baseball. We'll let Nick do football. And through some horse trading for about a year, I actually transitioned primarily into full-time checklisting and memorabilia acquisition. And Scotty took over the autographs uh, for baseball and football. And after a year, they looked at the process and said, well, this really is too big for one person to handle. Let's go to one baseball acquisitions manager and one football acquisitions manager. And so Scotty and I divvied that up at that point. In the interim, you know, because I was still 22 years old at the time all this is going on, the CEO was not comfortable with making me a brand manager. And so Doug, at, at, shortly after we hired Ben Eklar from Beckett, went out and hired Rob Springs from Beckett to head up football. And so, you know, started working with Rob when Scotty and I split the division that way. And that was the next couple of years. And then Doug decided to step away from the industry and do something completely different. Um, went and started a faith-based organization that works with disabled children and their family and kind of ministers to them. And as a result, we had kind of a shuffling interior or in, internally. Rob kicked up into Doug's old spot. And again, the CEO said, look, Nick's 24 years old now. I still think he's too young to be a brand manager. This and is I, this, this is age discrimination, Nick. <laughs> age discri Usually people think of discriminating against people because they're too old. <laughs> you were too young, too precocious. Okay. But but to his credit, Rob went to bat for me and said, look, Larry and Ann, Doug trusted Nick and you know had fought before I came in here. And even at that age, I think he could have done the job. With two more years of seasoning with me to help him out, I absolutely think he can do the job. And so in 2003, I became a brand manager for the football team. And I kind of ran that by myself uh, with Carlos Torres as an assistant, who was a long-term employee who had a production background. And so it was great for me in the sense that I already had good product knowledge, but I didn't understand the nuts and bolts of putting something together. Drop rates, you know, card counts, form limitations, technology limitations, how we could parallel from form A to form, you know, E without expending a lot of cost or, you know, printing printing challenges. And Carlos was instrumental in me understanding that piece of business. And it really gave me a leg up for the rest of the rest of my career. It still pays dividends at this point, to be quite honest with you. And so that's what I did for the next two and a half years, I guess, until we lost the baseball license. You know, a little known fact back then is FLIR had just gone out of business and we actually lost the license because we were eating market share from FLIR, which is part of the reason they went under on top of taking market share from tops and upper deck on the baseball side. Football, we were established. They understood that we were a player and why, but they were worried about these long-term legacy brands being affected and were we doing something kind of shady or underhanded. And because at the time I'm still 26 years old, I don't have a family, I'm not married, I have no real ties to Texas, and being the big-hearted person she is, tried to take care of the employees with families and local roots. And so she, even though we were keeping the football license, and that's where I worked exclusively and had since I joined the company, I kind of ended up out on my keister looking for something else to do. And it was honestly best for everybody involved, the guys who had Families and local roots were able to stay here and kind of adjust and have a kind of settling out period as we lost that license. 
So at that point, I started looking and trying to work the industry contacts, again, primarily through Doug Goddard, Tracy Hackler, and some of the guys I'd gotten to know at Beckett. Interviewed at that point with Upper Deck and Press Pass. And as crazy as it sounds, I just didn't feel like Upper Deck. I got an offer that for the money was I wasn't sure about, and the culture and the fit just didn't seem to go with my personality very well. And that's not to say it's not a great company and they haven't been incredibly successful. But I'd grown up in the Southeast, in East Tennessee, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, where Press Pass was, was a three and a half hour drive from my hometown. You know, it could be quicker back and forth to see family and the company. I was going to have more flexibility to run the product lines and do what I wanted to do. And so I picked up and moved 1,200 miles and went to North Carolina. And go ahead. We're going to say something. We're, about, we're, we're out of our 15 minutes. So just, <laughs> just, just as a final shot here, again, thanks for being on the show. But, you know, tell, tell the listeners what you're doing now. And I'll just have to get you back for some more, Nick. But sure. we're out of time for today. But one, one last thing. Where are you now? And uh, tell us about what you're doing right now. Sure. And I can make Press Pass really succinct. I was there for a decade, ran their product development lines, kind of whole hog, did do a little bit of production there. And as we shut down in 2015, got the opportunity to come back to Press or Panini. I'd gotten a couple offers when Jim Dryden was still here before DJ came and didn't really want to move or relocate. But obviously with Press Pass going out, I'd lived here before and was comfortable. Yeah. And there were a lot of guys with the company that were still there. Ben Eckler was still here. David Porter was still here. I actually brought back Rob Springs when I came back, you know, and so I was able to move down here into the football brand manager role. And then a couple of years later, Jimmy Stefano left. And I was able to kick up into the senior development or senior director of product development role, which is what I'm doing at this point. So for all intents and purposes, you know, Rob Springs, David Porter, Ben Eckler, I run the business day to day and oversee our various sports teams. And I sit over those as kind of a referee, for lack of a better term. Those guys know what they're doing. Their staff knows what they're doing. You know, I'll, I'll chip in ideas here and there. But we've got a fantastic team here that's really unparalleled for my time in the industry. But it is interesting to me that the core of the team being me, Rob, Ben and David Porter were all here in 2003, 2004, 2005 before we lost the baseball license, just showing what we could have done then if things didn't shake out the way they did. Well, thanks, Nick. Actually, three of those four, not you, but three or four used to be on the Beckett team with me. So I know their quality and your quality too. So thanks, Nick. Thanks, listeners. Be back again tomorrow with another episode.